Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx on transformationtalkradio.com. Good afternoon and good morning, West Coast. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on my brand new premier show, Recovery Recharged, with the illustrious Dr. Pat. Yeah, I'm Dr. Pat. I'm right here sitting in a co-pilot seat, ready to just fire it up. Okay, we're ready to go. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us today. I have a very special guest today on our Recovery Recharge show. First of all, the show is called Recovery and the Celebrity Spotlight. So that should really give you a good idea of what's coming next. I have the honor and privilege of presenting to you the Emmy-nominated actor, Michael O'Leary. And Michael O'Leary, you will recognize as a veteran actor for his 26 year starring role as Dr. Rick Bauer on the US soap opera, Guiding Light. Dr. Pat, did you know it was the longest running show in broadcast history? You know, I didn't know it was the longest, but I gotta tell you, I know it was like long. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, trust me, I, I, you know, like as somebody that knows a little bit about those shows, yeah, just a little, I, 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 it's like, like the forever show is what I used to call it. <laughs> the first episode was in 1937. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Yes. But I know you weren't there that long. No, not, no. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, Michael, you look really good. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. He <laughs> well. He's also been on countless popular nighttime shows like Law and Order and the current new NBC drama, New Amsterdam. He's also appeared on the web series Venice, which is a soap opera series now in its fifth and final season. He completed a co-starring role in an upcoming motion picture called The Glorious Resurrection of Claire Owens. And that's a film written by Joseph Craig and directed by Craig and Frank Mazzari. And currently, his award-winning writing and producing credits include Steamboat, the web series on Roku, which was nominated for 12 Indie Awards, and most currently, his award-winning play that deals with recovery called Breathing Under Dirt with internationally acclaimed director Larry Moss, which we're going to talk about a little later today. Michael? Welcome to Recovery Recharged. Uh, How are you? Thank you, Ellen. Um, boy, this has been kind of a uh, an emotional morning for me because um, um, I decided to go public with uh, my recovery on Facebook this morning, and mm-hmm. um, and I contacted uh, my my two daughters just to give them a heads up. Just 
to, to let them know that we're going to talk about this today. Um, but I, I just felt like the time is right because, um, you know, for those who are out there, you know, struggling with um, substance abuse um, issues, um, I'm like living um, proof, I, I, I guess, that, you know, you don't have to live that way anymore. And my life has really changed as a result of not drinking a day at a time. When did you first realize that there was a problem? Oh boy. Um, do you know, I always believed that I was an alcoholic um, before the alcohol took over me. And that for somebody who doesn't drink that may, you may scratch your head and say, what do you mean by that? But yeah. I've always been restless and irritable and discontent. And for yeah. me, I was, I was the, uh, the beer drinker. Uh, I didn't drink a lot of beer when I was growing up as a, as a kid. Um, but when I drank, I drank a lot of it and I got drunk. Um, and so, but I never had, uh, in my twenties and thirties, I never had alcohol in the house. Um, if I did, it was, you know, it was a beer, but I, beer didn't do it for me. And I remember when, um, my family moved from New York to, uh, Montclair and, and, uh, a neighbor dropped off a box of Chardonnay. And all of a sudden this alcoholic found something that I could drink a lot of. And, um, I was kind of off to the races. So somewhere in 2003, 2004, somewhere in there, I think I realized that drinking became a priority for me. Wow. Did anybody know about your drinking or did you think you were keeping it a secret? Well, certainly my family knew about it. Um, I think a lot of people that I worked with, um, uh, people that I worked with on Guiding Light, may have been surprised, but I remember um, one of the head writers for the show said to me um, in my early sobriety, I said, did you, did you know that I was a drunk? And she said, Michael, um, you, you changed from being the happy, funny Michael to the sloppy drunk Michael. Mm. And so believe it or not, for this alcoholic, I needed to hear that because for people who are addicts, we find people who co-sign our BS you know, who say, you're great, you can have a beer, you, you don't have a problem. And then for me to hear somebody who was a friend of mine who wrote the show say, no, you, you, you are a sloppy drunk. Um, I needed to hear that because for every addict, for every alcoholic, there's a part of you that thinks, you know what, I can control this. You know, I only drink on Thursdays or I don't drink gin, I'll drink gin on, it's called the negotiation phase. Well, I, I, I'll smoke pot. I won't drink beer. And this is what addicts do. We, we negotiate with ourselves and we find some other way. And it, nev it never works. Never works. Yeah. It, Michael, I, I want to talk to you a little bit too along these lines with, um, you know, one of the things that all of us have to face in the journey. And that is the notion of powerlessness. Right. And I'm not talking about powerless in life. I'm talking very specifically powerless over our addiction, right? right. You know, that moment that arises where, uh, and I think each of us has a different story about that, right? right? But there's a moment by which you are so far down the scale, people call it a bottom, that the only thing you could do is admit you're powerless, how did that happen for you? Did that happen for you in that, in that way? 
Well, you, you raised, you know, the, the first step of the 12 steps is I'm powerless over alcohol. My life has become unmanageable. So, um, and I'll include myself in this. I, I realized when I started to have a problem, I could say my life's unmanageable, but I'm, am I really powerless over alcohol? And that's why I think only six or 7% of people get sober mm -hmm. um, because for Americans, specifically Americans who, you know, say that they're powerless over anything is an oxymoron. You know, how can I be powerless over anything? It goes against everything that we, we are taught. Um, we're ambitious, we're, we're well-educated. In fact, I, I will say this caveat, the smarter you are, the harder you will get to be sober, by the way. That's true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my 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 minister who um, uh, talked to me, he, you know, he he helped me with my early recovery. He said the two caveats, the two biggest impediments for people getting sober are people who are really really smart and people who've got a lot of money. So for men, you know, if you have your job and you're so-called functioning alcoholic, you know, um, you know, you can glide along until most men won't stop drinking until they lose their job, till they're in jail, until they lose everything. Um, so back to your question for me, when did I realize I was powerless? Um, just when it became a priority for me over everything, including my family, uh, yeah. you know, there's three phases of drinking. It's fun, fun with problems. And then it's just problems. Yeah. And so we understand that what am I doing at a bar at four 30 in the afternoon, you know, and looking and you're looking across the bar and you're seeing three people drinking and you go. What is that loser doing over there? And you, you're the same loser. You're doing the same thing. Um, so my drinkings went from like 4.30 in the afternoon to 40. And all of a sudden, it started going back in 15-minute increments. I didn't drink in the morning. But listen, everybody's drinking looks different, you know. Um, so the tendency for people who have drinking problems is, well, I'm not the guy with the brown bag under the bridge. That's right. That's what, that's what most high-class alcoholics think i'm not them you know that's the biggest impediment sometimes is people don't want to um, get sober because they picture alcoholics as being losers without a job with a brown bag with a whiskey underneath the bridge um yeah. so i to answer your question is this all of a sudden it became my my number one priority you know where am i going to drink on the weekends who am i going to hang out with who pours the best margarita um you know, it was a mess. Yeah. No, knowing the name of every label of every form of vodka or whatever your drink was that was ever created on the face of the earth. And then going on vacation at Disney World and the first, the first thing out of you, your mouth is you've just gotten off a plane and it's time for breakfast. And the first thing you ask is, where's the bar in Disneyland? Where can we go get a drink? And, and your horror is there isn't one. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, um, you know, there's two phases. There's there's the actual drinking itself. And then there's the fantasy of the drink, the planning, as you say, of the drink, um, you know, planning the drink. And so for alcoholics and addicts, there's the actual consumption of whatever it is. And then there's the fantasy of it. Uh, who am I going to hang out with, you know, on Friday? And so I have plenty of drinking buddies and I couldn't wait. I'm like, I love Mexican food. Love it. But to me, Mexican wasn't Mexican until I had that frothy margarita 
with a salted glass margarita mix. You know, and it's all part of the 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 fantasy. And so, you know, margaritas. It uh, mine was the trifecta. It was tequila, vodka, and white wine. That was my devil's triangle. Mm. And the foods that went along with it. One of the things that we realize in terms of whether or not we decide we have a problem with a drink or a drug is what you talked about, the fantasy and the preoccupation of not only while it's happening, but anticipating the next time it's going to happen to make it a, you know, a, an experience that you really want to get to. And that's something that you talked about. It's a very real thing. If you wake up in the morning thinking about what's going to happen at five o'clock and how quickly you're going to get to the bar, then you have a serious problem. So this particular problem seemed to affect your entire life. Yes, relationships. Yeah, it, it did. I mean, um, work, relationships, um, you know, they call our spiritual condition, you know, um, I, um, I was physically, mentally, spiritually dead inside. And there's a time when every addict or alcoholic looks in the mirror. And I didn't see, I just saw this sort of walking dead person. That's the depths of despair. You know, they say the gates of hell, I think, for alcoholics, you know, and why we commiserate. I, I guess it's not unlike, and I don't know if this is an accurate analogy, but a breast cancer survivor can talk to a breast cancer survivor. They get it. They understand they've been through it. An alcoholic can relate to another alcoholic because the depths of despair, physical, emotional, spiritual despair, it's not just the depths of hell. It, you go in hell because it's the darkest place and there, there seems to be no hope. And that's why <clears throat> um, the disease is cunning, baffling, powerful because it wants to isolate you from the world. You know, addiction is an isolator. They want yeah. it wants you to take you away from yeah relationships and connectivity to humanity. Yeah, isn't this the great illusion as well? Because in the middle of a, in the middle of our addiction, the great illusion is that it connects us. You know, it gives us a false sense of value and a false sense of of what of what true connection really is. And you know, I just want to say and and Ellen for you too. For those people that are listening, I must say that this truly is an act of courage. And there's a reason the three of us are here. And one of the reasons I know that I'm here is I have buried, I have buried three siblings and a mom who committed suicide. And we have to be talking more right. about the reality of this as opposed to what celebrity happened to get a sober coach that he or she never uses. And, um, and I want to say to you, you know, this is going to help so many people, right, Ellen? What, I mean, isn't this why you're doing the show? This is exactly what the whole show is about. This is a show of no more secrets. It's all out in the open what goes on, how we feel, and the hope that we do recover. 
I'm sitting here with decades of recovery. Michael is sitting here with almost a decade in recovery. And we are open and honest about the struggles, but most importantly, how we have come out on the other side. So it's not a secret for the whole world to see and to see that there is hope about it, but we can't shove it under the rug and we can't not talk about it. It must be open. Not only the pain and the depth of the but the hope and the and the rise of recovery, and that's the most important thing. The the um, people will say to me, "Oh, Michael, you got seven years of sobriety. Congratulations, that's amazing." And I say to them, "No, my alcoholic, petulant, narcissistic child is in a timeout today." <laughs> yeah. So we call this thing, and it's called our ego. And I hear in the rooms, people will say you know, alcoholics are, uh, have an e are egomaniacs with inferiority complex. And it's really true that our biggest enemy, I think, in sobriety is our ego. You know, we want to run the show. We want to be the producer, director of our own life. And so back to Dr. Pat, your original um, question about this word surrender. So you go in and you say, okay, I don't know what this thing is, but if I have, I can't have one glass, you know, I can't have one glass of Chardonnay. I have to drink the whole bottle and then something else after that. I can't drink like a normal person. You know, my brother-in-law has a peanut allergy. He can't have peanut butter. Okay, so I have an allergy to alcohol. I cannot pick up a glass of alcohol and drink normally. Now, my alcoholic self will say six months or a year from now, if I stop working my program, hey, I can have a wine spritzer. That wine has got... It's got a spritzer in it. It's, you know, <laughs> that's the way we think. Yeah. So. Right. And it's yeah. actually beginning to change the way you think, feel, and act that keeps our recovery and remission. Talking with you about your admitting that you were powerless and then moving on, I guess, to the next step of in the 12 steps, it says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. What does that mean to you, Michael? How did that apply to you? Wow. Well, I will tell you, and it's really true, that it takes a while. I mean, I remember looking at those steps on the wall, and I was two years in before I, I saw the word sanity. You're so beaten up. You're so jammed up. You're so full of shame. All these things are going on. You're hurting so bad that sometimes you just you're just showing up and you're not hearing what everybody else is saying, but you're showing up. And I remember looking up and seeing that other step restore us to sanity. So the opposite of sanity is insanity. And so that's what my life was. It was insane. I was doing insane things. We lie to ourselves. What's this saying? If you keep telling the same lie over and over again, it becomes our truth. Yeah. You you become, um, I don't know, you just lie about everything. And that, that was me, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what you do. And the lies are all built around, um, you know, this, you know, I, I'm a fervent codependent, always trying to be a people pleaser to and and people people pleasing is like chasing a dog's tail you, you know mm -hmm. at the end of the day you're never going it's it's a dead end street so um you know i'm an adult child of an alcoholic so 
you know, I, and maybe at some measure, that's why I became an actor is to get this sort of, um, you know, this um, fame, I guess, or this adulation. But somebody said to me, adulation is like eating cotton candy. It tastes great, but leaves your stomach empty. Mm. <laughs> so it gets back to this true idea of what true intimacy and emotional, these having a true emotional attachment and relationship. And you can't have that when you're drinking. And going into the rooms and understanding that there is something else, something other than yourself that will give you relief. For me personally, going from that insanity state to the possibility of sanity was like a great exhale. Like, oh, thank goodness. I don't have to be on this treadmill anymore. Was that the same for you? Yes. Um, you know, uh, I was one of those those alcoholics, when I, when alcohol was removed from my life, um, I didn't have withdrawals. That was probably a bad thing. I probably should have, because I thought, oh, I don't, I don't feel so bad after all, you know? Um, but, but what started to happen was you, you, and I word I use the word bondage. You have this bondage relationship with this thing called alcohol. And all of a sudden, when you remove yourself from it, there's a, there is a sense of relief. You hear people a lot in early sobriety going, there's this thing called the pink cloud. Everything is wonderful. Everything is beautiful because they've been removed from this thing. You know, all of a sudden, you know, my acid reflex stopped, right? I stopped, uh, my insomnia stopped. Um, but the real life consequences did not stop. And that's, that's the thing that starts to happen. And you go, okay, this is, you know, sobriety doesn't is not the end all of you know you still have these problems that you have to walk through in your life yeah but you do it with a sober mind you know it's not a panacea where everything is wonderful and beautiful um but this is the way i describe it there's there's despair and there's grief i think when you're sober and you're in early sobriety you should feel grief because you've hurt a lot of people um, despair is, is not being, not having a program, not having any connectivity, not having a sober coach like you, Alan, is not having a person to connect to. Sobriety is about connecting to another human being who's been through this or is an expert like you are, Alan. I was always told that the opposite of um, addiction is community. You must have people around you to support you in terms of a recovery coach, in terms of meeting rooms, in terms of community people that are speaking your language, because we find it is a special language and something that yeah. you, you know, that you learn as you go. Exactly. So were you um, a little nervous to um, come out into the community? You think you're yeah, fan? Yes. Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> I am. I am nervous. Um, just, um, you know, I guess part, part of the healing process is there's, oh, there'll always be a little part of grief that's in, in me a little bit um, of what, you know, how my drinking affected the people I loved. Um, so um, I've had some very transparent conversations, some healing conversations with my, you know, beloved daughters about this and, you know, they're you know, my relationship with them is, is paramount and important. And it just, you know, I realize that um, I just, it just takes time. And, uh, 
And there's my my family in Minnesota and my dear friends from Guiding Light who have been very, very supportive. Um, so I, I've been very blessed, you know. Um, I call them my guardian angels, actually. I feel like I've had guardian angels around me my whole life, even when I was a hot mess. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that is the one point that I, I think is really important for us to really talk about, too is that these guardian angels become more obvious to us when we're not drinking or we're yes. not using. All of a sudden we stop for a moment and look around and say, oh no, you've been there for me. And I think that is really emotionally hard to, and this is part of the, this is part of recovery that we don't talk about enough, I don't think. And maybe when we come back from break, we can talk more about it. It's the moment when we realize and we look around and we have that sense, not, al not always remembering everything, right? Mm -hmm. But we have that sense, wow, I did that to you? Yeah. Wow, I was like that there? Right. That's a different kind of awakening. And many people don't know that it's an integral part of recovery. Right. And Somehow they think magically that people go through the magic doors of recovery and on the other side, when they open it, there's the clouds of heaven, just all over there, the clouds of heaven. But what happens is we don't really talk enough about what happens to us as we change, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally, because that is what we do in recovery, isn't it? Isn't it, Ellen? Yeah. yeah. It's a full transformation. That's what yeah. it's all about. That's why Transformation Talk Radio is the perfect place to talk about recovery. Yep. It is mind, body, spirit. It is. Ellen, why don't we take a short break? But before we do, let's have folks have some information here about you and the work you do. And then, uh, you know, we'll go to a short break and come back and pick this up. Follow me on pushybroadfromthebronx.com. You can book a recovery recharge phone call for me, with me, especially during the holidays. Sometimes it's a very difficult time, a lot of partying, a lot of carrying on. Please look for me, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, or call my toll-free number, 800-889-1757. Um, and, you know, one of the things I want to do, uh, Michael, how do we follow you on Facebook? Um well, I have an Instagram and Facebook page. Okay. Um, you could do a, a friend request. Um, I Perfect. think I'm pretty close to max out on Facebook, but okay. certainly Instagram would probably be the best way. All right. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be looking at what does, what does this mean? How do we get from that place, that moment where we've seen ourselves in a mirror, the realization of that, that point of surrender, that admission that some level of help is needed and it's not me. What do we do then? Is it possible to go from that place, those places that you don't wanna think about some days, but you must, you must face. Is it possible to come out the other side and truly step in to the brilliance of recovery? I'm going to let Ellen talk about that. And Michael, when we come back, everybody, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. 
Are you ready to put down that drink or drug for good? Are you struggling to maintain your recovery from addictive behaviors? Do you need help with a family member or loved one who's in early recovery or battling addiction? Get the help and guidance you need by arranging a recovery recharged phone session with me, Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, Certified Life and Recovery Coach. Call 1-800-889-1757. Make an appointment today. Or go to my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com, and click on the link that says Recovery Recharged. Don't wait. Get the help you need today. This is Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx, on transformationtalkradio.com. Tap into the wisdom of animals, angels, and masters with Darcy Pariso on Animal Soul Wisdom Radio. Tune in monthly as Darcy brings insights on how to better understand and deepen our relationships with animals. Working with light and pureness of ancient techniques, Darcy, healer, animal communicator, and medium is here to guide you through this process and provide inspiration to move forward. For more information about working with Darcy, visit DarcyPariso.com. Tune in to The Jen Royster Show, intuitive guidance to inspire your life, each Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This amazing show is an inspirational hour that will take you on an epic metaphysical journey to discover the spiritual approach to life's greatest challenges. Dr. Jen is an internationally known intuitive counselor, spiritual teacher, and energy healer. Call in for intuitive readings and visit JenRoyster.com for more information. Are you truly ready to experience overflow in every area of your life? Are you ready to go from limited to limitless? Imagine starting your week off with a deeper connection to the dog consciousness. It's time for you to feel inspired, uplifted, and shifted. I invite you to join me, Tracy L, online or in person for our Soul Sundays. Start your week off feeling empowered and ready to serve and expand the miracles waiting for you. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back. Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Recovery Recharge. Uh, I get to do this fabulous show with the most amazing Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Today, Michael O'Leary is a very special guest. Ellen, before we dive back into this, uh, I, I want to be very clear about the work that you do to help people, both folks in recovery and their families. Could you again say something about that and let folks know how to get a hold of you? Folks can get a hold of me easily by going to pushybroadfromthebronx.com. They can make a phone call with me and you're going to get me. I do work in family and parental support. I work with addicts coming out of treatment and alcoholics. I work with people that want to sustain their recovery. They may be in a relapse situation or you have a family member that needs help and you do not know how to help them. That's why I am here. Go to the website, 
or call me toll-free, 800-889-1757. I'm here for you. The Pushy Broad is here. Thank you for saying that because people, here's the thing I want to say about Ellen's work. You might even know what the question is that you're seeking an answer to. Families, friends don't know. They don't know what the questions are. Folks in recovery sometimes don't know. It could be something as a matter of you're getting ready to the holidays. You don't know how to get through it. And the, the reason I want to mention this, and, 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 and Michael, I think it's great for you to talk about it, is this is a time when you are in recovery or you're with others in recovery. You don't know what you don't know. And that's why you call somebody mm-hmm. like Ellen because you've got to have somebody to work with on this. This is not a solo journey. I'd like to hear what both of you all have to say about that. Michael? No, not at all. I mean, um, uh, I have a sponsor. Um, You know, uh, listen, this is the holidays, and this is a difficult time for any uh, person in recovery. And so, you know, I I would call Ellen or my sponsor and and, you know, you, you, you make a phone call before you go out to an event with alcohol and you call afterwards. You, you have a plan. You cannot be in recovery and not have a plan. You have to have a sponsor. You have to have a recovery coach. You have to have a plan. Um, you know, I, uh, I go to a meeting every, I get up 6 o'clock, 6 to 15 every day and I go to a meeting, 7 a.m. That's how I start my day. Um, if I'm going to, listen, I'm, I'm, I've been around a lot of alcohol recently that's been around and um, I'll just remove myself. I'll just walk away if I feel uncomfortable. Now, I don't feel like drinking today, but at the same time, it's like you say, if you go to a barber enough times, you're going to get a haircut. So I just don't go to, I don't, so I don't hang out at bars. Um, if I'm with a friend, I'll go to a bar. Um, but I'm very, very careful. For example, I'm going to give you this one story. I'm going to a meeting about two months ago. And I'm driving along and I hear this commercial for um, Heineken Zero. And I go, wow, Heineken Zero. I, I, and they go, you could drink this in the car and not get arrested by a, by a police officer because there's <laughs> zero alcohol in this. So what does this alcohol do? I pull off to the side of the road and I start Googling Heineken Zero. I can, I can have a beer again. No, Michael, I can't have a virgin mark. I can't have, I can't have a fake beer. That's going down. You see how I'm talking about this is how we think. So, you know, you, you, you constantly have to be vigilant. And that's why, you know, Ellen has been such a, a, a blessing to me. Um, Ellen talks in what I call beautiful shorthand. I can, you can go to a therapist for an hour, spend a zillion dollars. I go to Ellen and she'll talk to me in like 10 minutes. I'm off the phone. I go, she just gave me the answer. You know, sobriety is shorthand. Sobriety is like usually two sentences. And a lot of times I heard from my sponsor, don't do that, Michael. Don't send that email. Don't do that, Michael. 99% of what I didn't do was the best thing I did do in my, during my early sobriety. Exactly. Yeah. And being a pushing broad, that's kind of the method I work with that, right? That part cheerleader, you can do it and drill sergeant, but don't do it. You know? <laughs> Just all of that at the same time. Right. So tell us a little bit about the kinds of change you've made well beyond just not picking up the drink or the drug. Yeah. Well, you know, what do, what do, um, 
um, addicts, alcoholics too, when they do get in recovery, you find another fix. And for me, it was food. So I went from 215 pounds to 260 pounds because I started, I found a new thing to try to fill that hole inside of me. And, and I've lost, um, with the help of my fiance, I've lost 45 pounds because I had to have like, Michael, you were just replacing one thing with the other thing. And for some, it's tobacco or whatever, gambling or perfectionism. You know, this is not just about alcohol. It's about, you know, what are you in bondage to? Is it about, is it about perfectionism, being right? Is it exercise? Is it gambling? You know, so anybody's listening, right. anybody's listening to the show today, it's like, well, I'm not, you know, I don't drink. It's like, okay, what is controlling your life? You know, yeah. that's the question we have to ask ourselves every day. Yeah. You know, this is really interesting, but it's also really important what you said, because this is one of these known, this, this little thing here is so important that you just shared. And the reason it's important is because we don't talk enough about it or the public doesn't get to hear about it. We talk about it, but the public doesn't get to hear about the multi levels, what I call the 50 shades of addiction, right? You know, because here you are, maybe you get, let's say you get sober in New York, like I did, here you are. And the next thing you know, you're in Manhattan and you're thinking, oh, I think it's going to be a really good idea for me to go down the village and hit every coffee cafe and have dessert like five times. And it doesn't dawn on you until somebody points out to you, you're transferring an urge. And I yes. think that is so important today to talk about that because I think we're seeing that continued search for comfort outside of ourselves. And this recovery is not about that, is it, Ellen, Michael? No, it's not. But it is about learning what the addictive brain is all about. Yeah. Anything that you focus on that one would consider obsessive. I could go down Fifth Avenue for Christmas and wind up in Bloomingdale's and spend everything I have just because. Or you can let your fingers do the walking and go online on, on Black Friday or Cyber Monday and, and lose your entire paycheck and maybe your mortgage money. That's just as serious a problem as whether or not you have an alcohol or drug addiction. So recovery coaching really is learning how to understand every single kind of addictive behavior. There are so many people that I work with that tell me, well, I can't relate to this. I mean, if somebody wants to stop drinking, let them just stop drinking. Or what are you doing drugs for? That's ridiculous. But there are so many other things that people get involved with that have those things rule their lives. And that comes from an addictive brain. And that's what a recovery coach does. Shows you how to temper that addictive brain and put it in remission. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's really important that we are talking about this to both of you, because I, I want to get back to, Michael, something you said, especially around this. Um, if you have a coach and you have a program and you have a sponsor, Boy, you have got to be committed to showing up. What is it? Uh, what is it in the big book that's also in the Bible? I never forgot this because it was also in The Walking Dead. Faith without works is dead. And I will tell you that for the first 10 years of going to meetings, 
I didn't read it that way. This is what happens to your brain. So I read it. Faith without works is depth. And that was good for somebody like me. But the point is, you've got to have the belief, but you got to do the work. Got to do the work. You got to work with other people. You got to do the things, one thing in front of the other. Because in your perspective, Michael, and, and for you, Ellen, we can have an extraordinary life. And I think that's got to be the message too today, isn't it? Absolutely. We come forward and not only an extraordinary life, but a life that we have never experienced before. So it's a brand new life. But as quickly as we can hold on to it, it will disappear if we don't recharge it. And that's what recovery is all about. You have to practice because it has to be continual because our addictive brain will catch up to us and always take us down. So Michael and I have been practicing recovery recharged for about uh, seven years now on and off when you need me. And I know it's, it's brought you into a whole new world. I'd like you to tell us a little bit about this award-winning play that is specifically about recovery and yeah. forgiveness redemption. Right. Well, I started, I, I remember I went to a coffee shop in the morning and I just wrote this monologue down and I think you know, women are so good at journal, journaling. And I don't know if I was actually thinking of writing a play, but I just wrote down this, um, this poem actually, um, that was meant for my, my daughter. And, um, and then all of a sudden this, this, this thing started coalescing into a play. And, um, and I realized that I really was writing this play because I wanted so much uh, to be restored uh, with my with my daughters and to be forgiven, and and really the shame, the deep shame, which is the thing that keeps people out there, you know. So all of a sudden, you know, it started just becoming a healing process, starting to write this, and and I got it. My my friends from Guiding Light, if it wasn't for them, this play would never be where it was. Specifically, Beth Chamberlain, Grant Alexander. And Tina Sloan. I went to them uh, with this 23-page play. I entered it in the Manhattan Repertory uh, Contest. My dear friend said yes. We put the play up and it won first place as a one act at Manhattan Repertory. And then shortly after that, we went to Maryland. Uh, Laura Shore was kind enough to sponsor it. It's a nonprofit uh, theater group. We put the play up. It got an amazing review from a Washington, D.C. theater critic. And then shortly after that, um, I sent the playoff to director Larry Moss, who is coach for Leonardo DiCaprio, Helen Hunt, Hilary Swank. He's considered one of the preeminent acting teachers, directors in the world. And, and I thought, well, all he could do is say no. You know, so I hunted down his assistant. I sent the play out. A month later, I see, I see no caller ID on my phone, and I think it's a creditor or something. <laughs> and lo and behold, it's Larry Moss. And Larry read, said, I read your play. It's beautiful. How can I be a part of it? And Lo and behold, two years later, working with Larry, we workshopped it. And about a month ago, he says it's ready. And actually, I'm talking to him at four o'clock today to see what the next steps are. Mm. So, so the, name the, play, the, play. the play is really about, um, and it's called Breathing Under Dirt, because um, in the play, the protagonist receives forgiveness from her mother. Mm. Um, and she passes. 
and the 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 burden of guilt and shame and forgiveness was lifted from her in life so the point of the play is to reach forgiveness and reconciliation with the ones that we love while we're still alive you know i think in the south or sometimes they say making peace in the program is called making amends um but it's all about that process and somebody like ella you you have to kind of get some sobriety under your belt before that process actually happens because no one wants to hear i'm sorry when you've hurt them so badly no you you're sorry you you make your men by not drinking a day at a time that's how you 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 get people to trust you again so that's that's a, a snapshot of the play and um i'm just very grateful that you know we have a chance to be produced in new york oh it's exciting yeah it's very exciting. But, you know, also, too, your creative juices have returned in many ways. You know, your fortitude, your stamina, the ability to get things done, which sometimes is so difficult when you're under the influence, no matter how much one thinks they're, in, they're, they're a functioning alcoholic or a functioning right. addict or a functioning human being. But all of this was returned to you in so many ways. And on a personal level, how are your relationships now, Michael? Great. I mean, great. Well, I say great. They're, they're improved. It's a process. Um, I'm engaged to be married to this absolutely lovely lady hmm. who I met uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, actually, I'm in her, her my soon-to-be stepson's room here upstairs. Um, so my relationships are amazing. My relationships with my friends are amazing. You know, I've made amends to them. You know, life is so rich. Like, how do you describe sobriety? Sobriety, it's like somebody says, you can taste food. You can, the colors, the colors are brighter. Um, you, you have, you could sit still and what's that? Be, um, what's that? Be still and know that I'm a God, that I am God. Mm-hmm. I can be still and people say, what are you thinking about? I'm not thinking about anything. I have actually <laughs> some, I have peace between my two years now, you know, because <laughs> I've, I've done the work that the program asked me to, to, to do. So, you know, sobriety is awesome. I, I, it's my top priority and, you know, drunks are selfish, but the irony about sobriety is you have to be selfish to keep it. You have yeah. to keep doing it or you lose it. Yeah. Yeah. And that is a really good point. And I think this really, really talks to Ellen, the work you do with families, because I don't know what you have found on your journey, but I remember early on uh, not being able to talk about things very much because I really didn't know. I mean, you know, first year, second year, whatever that is, you don't know. And it was so interesting back then how people just don't know and want to just give you a drink and say it's just one drink or maybe even overreact and not bring out any drinks. And I mean, there's such a level of learning and understanding that has to go on between the individual that's in recovery and the folks around them. But but in the end, what you're talking about is what the three of us are talking about. There is a rainbow with a pot of gold. There really is. There is, and it's a really good thing. 
we do develop a language though, like Dr. Pat is saying, like Michael is saying, and it's extremely important that the people around us learn that language and they can identify with it. There are so many unanswered questions that people have, and it's so easy to talk to them in a way that really truly can help them which is why the family and parental support piece of recovery coaching is really essential for every single family member truly transforms lives yeah because it doesn't take our problem let's say as an active addict or an addict in recovery and separate us from the family we want to bring the family in on it we want to make it a together situation and not only that but it helps rebuild relationships between family members yeah and the greatest gift of all yeah because there was a rift yeah i i remember the first time i ever refused to go to a a, a wedding like a like a big wedding and it was way up way number of years ago but it was something that for me it would have been the kiss of death for me because I was wedding crazy. I was almost like the wedding crasher movie, right? Where you find the weddings to go to because, and, and I remember the first time that I had to say, you know, I'm going to go to the church, but I, I'm not going to be able to go to the reception. I think that that's having those conversations is extremely difficult. And that's where the support and help comes in because that's not the only conversation, Ellen, Michael. There are thousands of those conversations which we've never had to have and we do now. Yes, because the more we open up what recovery is like and the more people like Michael, even especially in a celebrity fashion is open and honest about who they are, the more comfortable we are about talking to our, you know, about ourselves and the more comfortable a family member is, is talking about it. There's no longer a six degree separation when it comes to addiction. Like mm -hmm. Michael was saying in the beginning, there's no longer just imagining this Bowery bum with, with a, a bottle of alcohol or this yeah. addict with a needle in his arm down in, yeah. you know, down in the dregs of New York city. Right. Right. It transforms. It transcends race, color, creed, gender, whatever. Right. It, it I, 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 I think I, I read something just just the other day that one out of six people uh, under 30 years old are addicts. One out of six. Yeah. So that's a lot. No, that, I, I think I read that too. Yeah, I think I read yeah. something like that too. That That's a number we should say again. What do you, I, you read one out of six. I think I read one out of five, but you read one out of yeah. six, Michael. Yeah. 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 So you're talking about, you know, nearly, you know, uh, 15, 20% of our population yeah. of under 30 are addicted to something. Yeah. And yeah. That's but stunning. It's no longer this 9% where, you know, it's, it's, it's going up and now we have the vaping and it's just, oh. it's, which I think is just criminal. Oh um, my gosh. That kids are, are exposed to this type of stuff and they're dying. And, and somehow this stuff is propagated, you know, to our young people. So, um, but isn't that why we're doing this show? I mean, isn't that one of the reasons why, Ellen, you're doing this show. This is something where you said we've got to talk about it. And Michael, for you to come on today um, uh, and talk about it, and for me to talk about it, for the three of us to talk about it, um, we have seen some things where people do not have the hope and support you're offering, Ellen. We've seen what happens. You know, I've seen what happens. You know, I've seen women walk into a meeting with a gun and end their lives because they just don't know how to connect the dots. 
And I'm not sure, Ellen, I, I know you've been doing this a long time, but I'm not sure that you know how valuable what you do really is right now and the way you do it. And Michael, you speaking out and knowing what Ellen does. We cannot say enough about the work you do. And you, I know you're passionate about it, but it's not even optional anymore. It's an ultimatum for living, isn't it? It is. It has to be a constant to, to, to be loud and proud and counted on the other side. Of course, there's one out of six of us that are still suffering, but there is 27 million of us in recovery in the globe. Why aren't we talking about that? If we look to positive outcomes and talk about recovery with pride and passion, people want to go there. It, people it's want truly, to stay there. It's it. truly, if I were to say people who, who know me, who, who watch the show, who are just listening today, who are suffering or in pain, and I, and I would say the same thing my sponsor says to me is that you don't have to feel this way anymore. Um, there's no reason to feel shame. There's um, um, millions of people just like you who are feeling the same thing, most of which will not make the phone call to somebody. We all know somebody who knows somebody who's an alcoholic. So it's really about picking up the phone. This phone for, for us, for people who are addicted, is, is like an anvil. And that's what I did in early sobriety. I picked this phone up, and I have, tw I have probably 30 men's names on this phone, and I call and every time I call, they always say, thank you for calling, Michael. And it's not BS. They really, I help, it's, it's the reciprocation of the program. We help each other that way. Um, and oddly enough, ironically, people who, who don't get it help me too. Yeah. It's just oh, a reminder yeah. that, you know, the people that don't get it, don't get to that very first step, which we, you and I, and the three of us go, why won't, why won't they do it? But that's the cunning, baffling, pow powerful part of this disease. yes it is yes well, it is yes there is and now there is wonderful help available and i cannot thank you enough michael for thank you michael with us today and for um working a strong program with me over the years and sustaining a a, a wonderful life in recovery and congratulations on all of your successes and accomplishments and i know continuing to recharge your recovery those things thank will you. continue one day okay, pat, and pat thank you pat uh, dr pat for providing this um this vehicle for people um, this is a very important thing. Yeah. There's not enough of these type of shows out there that I'm even aware of. So yeah. uh, this is a very important, um, you know, thing that you're doing. You know, in the spirit of somebody that helped me was sort of an outcast, somebody that had to step away, that decided to talk about this on television, that became iconic for me in my journey, Marty Mann. And what we can learn from Marty is that this is a, these conversations, we must have them so people can hear them now. And I think that's what we're doing. I want to thank you for doing that, Ellen, for you to do that. You've been listening to Recovery Recharged with Certified Life and Recovery Coach Ellen Stewart, Pushy Broad from the Bronx. Don't miss your next opportunity to let me help you recharge your recovery, let go of your secrets, and change the way you think feel, and act right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.